0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
2: And welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. This is a football roundtable. It has been a while since we talked Mac Brown's Tar Heels. With that comes Buck Sanders, Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes, and of course, Jason Staples. And before we get started, I want to let everybody know we are sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. <clears throat> I've been missing that. That has been lacking from my life. Jason, your love for Johnny t-shirt as our premium subscribers should love Johnny t-shirt as well. And if you're not a premium subscriber, you need to be one because you get 10% off your everyday order. And there's been a lot of news going on, quite a bit of news over the last few days involving Carolina athletics, um, coaching change, little things like that, that have the world spinning, uh, the world of college athletics spinning. Also take a second to rate us review us, and subscribe, or follow us on any uh, Apple podcast or however you get your podcast. and also on this YouTube channel. So you can get notifications when we're live as we are now. Guys, let's get this ball rolling. Buck, I'll start with you since we don't get to talk to the Presidente very often on these shows. Uh, one thing I gathered from Mac Brown's presser today, he's always um, courteous with the media Um, Everybody says he's really nice. It was kind of the thing we talked about with Hubert Davis. Um, Is he too nice? I think Mac really flashed his edge when he was talking about what he expects out of his assistant coaches. Your thoughts on that and also on the the, sort of the mood around Carolina football as we moved towards another scrimmage on Saturday.
3: I thought that he had a lot of great thoughts about dealing with his assistant coaches Um, the idea that you criticize privately, you praise publicly, um, a good management style, not to tear down his assistant coaches, uh, in front of the players. Uh, he just seemed a little bit, um, in fact, uh, all three of the, you know, Mac and Phil Longo and Jay Bateman, they all seemed a little jazzed today for whatever reason, uh, uh, I didn't, I don't understand why maybe they had a great practice, but, uh, or maybe they're just getting to the part of spring practice where real stuff starts happening. But, uh, yeah, I thought he did a, a as usual, a good job as explaining his relationship to, uh, his assistant coaches and what he expects of them. And, you know, I, Greg and I have talked about this before, you know, when he came back to UNC. If there was ever a coach that could be his real self, it was Mack Brown. Uh, he didn't have to worry about, uh, Oh, I'm uh, prepping for my next job. He didn't have to worry too much about getting fired. Uh, there was a lot of things he did not have to worry about and he just could kind of say, you know, what he meant all the time, basically. And so I think he's, he's very frank with his assistants, but, um, you know, I, I, I thought all three of them were just a little more energized, even though they're generally energized uh, today than they have been in the, the first couple of press conferences.
2: Greg, in covering the events of the last few days, um, there's been some people on the message boards that have felt like football has gotten sort of a, a short stick over the last few days. I don't look at it that way. A, there was nothing going on with football until um, early this week. But B, it allows Mac, his staff, and those players to continue, continue to get better a little bit out of the limelight that has really started ramping up on Chapel Hill. Is that is that a valid point, or is that just something maybe I'm trying to find a way to keep the spotlight off Carolina football as long as possible because – just to keep it a secret, maybe,
0: you know, this, this has been a conversation and I'm not privy to the inner workings of a lot of other programs. So this could be a, in programs, I mean, athletic departments. So this could be a, a widespread thing, but the, the conflict between UNC basketball and UNC football, at least with regard to the fan base has always been fascinating to me. Um, you should be lifting one another up. Not, not the other way. There shouldn't be jealousy involved. Um, and I, I think if you listen to, to Mac Brown today and you, you listen to what Roy Williams has said in the past, they see each other as, as uh, tools. I mean, Mac said today that the relationship with basketball really can help with recruiting. I mean, you've got Des Evans and Keyshawn Silver who you really want to try to play basketball for North Carolina. One of the greatest football players to ever play the game, Julius Peppers, did both uh, and so I, I think when you have somebody like Mac Brown and you have somebody like Roy Williams who understands that you can help one another um, that's key I, I thought it was uh, great the story Mac told about Greg Ellis and that uh, you when they're recruiting Greg Ellis his mom really wanted to meet Dean Smith and so before the Duke game Dean Smith set up a meeting with Greg Ellis and talked to Greg and his his mother. And sure enough, a couple of days later, Craig Ellis commits to the football team. So uh, they can really help one another. And I I think that's going to be key moving forward. I mean, clearly basketball has had a lot more success in football. Um, And maybe we're at a inflection point, right? Where maybe football is going to become the, the more successful program in the short term while Hubert Davis tries to figure things out. I, I don't know, but uh, it's kind of trending that way, right? And so I think it's I think it's something that fans should really embrace both sides. Um, and yeah, I mean, the last week has, has been all about North Carolina basketball, not just locally, but nationwide. I've done more radio interviews in Alabama and Arizona and uh, Wisconsin the other day uh, than I ever have before. And that, that's what comes when the North Carolina head coaching job takes over. Um, but Celebrate it. Enjoy it. And as you say, Tommy, there's a lot to be excited about with with North Carolina football. I mean, they're only, they completed practice number six on Tuesday. That was the second practice they've had this spring in full pads. So they're just getting going. I mean, Tuesday was the first time they really started adding new wrinkles. Um, And so we'll, we'll learn a lot more about those in the coming days. But when you, when you only have 15 practices and they're spread out over five weeks and you have to go through the NCAA acclimation period, Uh, You kind of start slow uh, by design anyway.
2: Jason, getting ramped up in spring ball, I think it's fascinating. And Greg, correct me if my numbers are wrong. Max said 20 guys, 21 guys had had a spring practice or something. That is insane. Yep. I mean, it blew my mind. Jason, how important is spring ball just for the average football player, much less guys that are trying to be – um, you know, be a part of a team that's looking to be one of the top ten teams in the nation. I mean, it, it's this is worth its weight in gold this time, right now, for Carolina football.
4: Yeah, it, it's. I think it's more important for the average guys than it is for the for the the top guys. And and the main reason is because the top guys are getting the majority of the reps, both in practice and obviously on game day during the season. So when you're talking about the opportunity to get better in terms of your depth, in terms of your average guys, in terms of the guys that you're hoping step up and all that, there are really two, two, two places. There are two opportunities where you get those, those things, and that is in spring and in camp, in fall camp, and spring really more than camp because that is – you know, in camp, you're, you're, you, you have a little bit less time in terms of uh, space. See, the, the nice thing about spring actually is some of that space, Greg, because, I mean, you can, in camp, you're beat up pretty quick. And you also are installing things so fast in the spring to really make sure that you've got everything in and you're ready. I mean, you're, you're going to be turning around to start preparing for week one opponent right away. I mean, that's happening immediately. So you're, you're gearing up toward that. In spring, it's all about fundamentals. It's about installing things at a speed that your guys can get it. So you install things fast, but there's space between practices where guys can go over the film and where guys can learn and all of that. So you install really actually about the same speed in terms of per practice in the spring that you do in the fall. But when you've got a day or two between each practice, instead of what you have in the fall, your guys are fresher when they get out there. And they've had a little bit of time to actually think through and 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 work together in the film room and all this off the clock, you know, so to speak and get, you know, get better on the things that they, that they really need to get better on. So that helps the, in my view, the young guys and the, the, the average players. And I mean, I was a below average player. It helps, it helps the below average players more than the, more than the, than the top players, the top players, like I said, they're getting reps. They're, they're often more experienced right away. So, you know, that's where, that's where that helps. So I, I think this is where it's so crucial is Carolina, the last couple of years in particular, has not been very deep on defense, right? They've not been able to play a bunch of guys. And now I think one of the reasons you're starting to see these coaches come into, the, into these meetings with a little bit of a skip in their step a little bit of a hop in their step is because they're looking out there and they're going, we might have a little depth this year. We got, we've got some opportunities to, to platoon some guys and be that much better because of that. Now I am going to step in and say one, one thing. I know this is a football side, but I'm going to say one thing, uh, since I wasn't part of the, uh, the basketball round table the other day. So for those of you who are, who, who uh, have any concerns about, about the hire, so I got a chance to to get to know Hubert Davis a few years ago, uh, and you know I've I've uh, obviously seen him some since, but I've been at his house. I know I've gotten a chance to get to know him, his wife, his kids, all of these things, and that was about what seven eight years ago. Ever since then, I've felt like man, that guy could be a really good head coach. There, you know, there's just certain guys you talk to like that guy could have it um, I'm, I'm convinced that guy's going to be really good. So, uh, and, and just like Mac do not think he's too nice. He's really nice. And he's going to recruit like crazy. People are going to want to play for that guy, but he, he, he's a stone cold killer when it comes to wanting to win. So I I'm, I'm really, I'm really actually very excited about this hire for North Carolina basketball, just for what it's worth.
2: Absolutely. I, I mean, I totally agree with you there. And, and like Greg said, you know, rising tides lift all boats. So, Both programs good. It's definitely a positive. Buck, uh, you mentioned we we have a side chat going on um, if our listeners wonder how we're so in tune to each other. Uh, Buck, you mentioned also the high school guys haven't played ball either. The early enrollees, I mean, the local school here in Clayton, they're playing their senior years of football right now. So everybody that enrolled early didn't get that opportunity. I mean, this is just a brand new thing basically for the entire roster
3: almost. Yeah, you think about it, um, in, in a lot of ways, take a kid like Tony Grimes, you know, he was supposed to be in high school last year and he's going into his true sophomore season, never having had a spring game. And then we, we did talk about the, um, 12 early enrollees. Now I'm not sure if some of them got in a, some sort of high school, uh, football or not, but the, the North Carolina guys obviously didn't because they didn't have it. Uh, but, you know, that there's a lot of, and Max said today, there's 21 guys on the entire roster that have been through a spring game, or a spring practice. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're probably valuing this time and appreciating it uh, much more so than they would under. Different circumstances, uh, but they're probably very happy that they've got uh, a little time. As you know, you were looking for the silver lining there—a little time away from the limelight with all that was going on with a basketball program. Uh, but you know, everybody needs a, a, a little bit of a, a break every now and then, and they got one. Of course, they, they weren't playing uh, practicing over Easter weekend. And, uh, they didn't have competing press conferences yesterday. That would have been bad form. So, uh, just good to see them back out and, and hearing more about the team. Mac had a lot of good things to say today. I thought both, uh, Longo and Bateman had great, uh, press conferences today. Some really good questions from the media. I think you know, maybe probably their best day as far as dealing with, uh, Phil and Jay Bateman indeed Gregory uh I'm not going to
2: call out the the ch- questions on chat but you're subject to some some of the questions as well there now my friend you picked on me last night but anyway go ahead Gregory uh what'd you learn today from Mac Phil and Jay
1: um before I can get into today specifically I want to kind of touch on a thing that both Greg and Jason said um to Greg's point about only day two and pads, Max' whole and he kind of mentioned it today. His thing is, if you're not running to the ball on defense specifically, if you're not running to the ball and you're not showing effort, we'll put someone in who can. And I think that applies even more um, with having pads on, just because you have that extra weight. Some of the young boys, some of the young bodies, things like that. Um, so I think that brings an extra element of who can show Max effort with pads come time for fall camp and game day and things like that um, with the big bodies that Mac wants and they want to show physicality and you can kind of see that with pads. And then the other thing with what Jason said about how spring practices for those average guys, Mac made a point and has constantly made a point And Jay kind of touched on it today about getting reps for the backups to build that depth, especially at linebacker. They know what Jeremiah Gimel is going to give them they think they know what Eugene Sante is going to give them. Um, and so they want to see what power Eccles and what Ra rah Dilworth can give them. And that's where spring practice and what we've heard so much, that's what it's for, right? Is uh, we, you, we know what Jeremiah is going to give them. He'll get his reps, right? He's going to start for us. He's going to be there on day one, put in power Eccles with the ones and see what he can do. Having Sam Howell throw over the middle, right? We don't really want to see what he can do with uh chris well or drake may back there obviously he'll do that and he'll get his reps but they want to see what those guys can do with one of the best quarterbacks if not the best quarterback in the country throwing at him and things like that um which was touched on today in the press conference as well with just getting guy getting those reps and building depth which has been max mantra from the
3: beginning so yeah that's Gregory, something you, I've... Just hit, uh, you just hit on tommy's favorite subject backup quarterbacks you... yeah both of them yeah (laughs) you opened that can of worms didn't you here we go you
2: got me giddy man uh (laughs) i'm drinking mango water tonight folks so there's nothing uh there's nothing special to get me wide open uh a couple things well yeah let me go where i was going first and then i'll come back to the backup quarterbacks greg and, and buck mentioned it in the side chat but and he kind of said it, you know, the bench is their best friend. I've also heard that, you know, the bench is the great motivator. That's one thing that I saw that I heard the most um, to add on to what Gregory said is they've got opportunities to sit people if they're not performing. And I'm not sure they've been able to do that the last couple of years. Um, And I have little doubt that Mac Brown and his staff will do just that. Uh, Greg, do you get that sense? For sure. And, and I think, Buck used
0: the term "giddy" uh, when, when talking about how the the coaches were talking today, and Jay Bateman, and we've kind of been told the same uh, kind of behind the scenes is the the possibility and the opportunity with so many legitimate big guys to fill out that defensive front, uh, paired with the speed available, is something that he simply has not had at North Carolina, and so when, when he's never had, had anywhere. True. Good point. Good good point. You don't think Elon had some four four guys?
4: Nah, <laughs> and they definitely didn't have those three hundred pounders. <laughs> That's right, for sure. Well, Keyshawn
0: Silver's three oh six, and he's eighteen. Um, he's which is,
4: monstrous. Just and, looking at
1: him, while when we were at that on Saturday, just we were like, oh my gosh, like look at that kid,
4: grown blank man, and he's, he's not the only one. And that's the thing. They got a couple of these guys, these young guys that you were hoping would be, would show up like that. And they have showed up like that. And that's why this, that's why this coaching staff is looking at this going, you know, you get a few of those boys around and suddenly, you know, teams like the one in the other Carolina that, you know, you might have to play, you know, toward the end of the year, you're starting to starting to battle with the same kind of tools they've got you know, in a year or two. And that, (laughs) I'd be pretty excited too.
0: Well, I really think that the most beneficial thing here is, you know, last year it was a little bit of an issue because of COVID. You didn't have a spring. You really were limited in in summer workouts. So you had these talented young guys come in, but they were playing catch-up so much. And so by the time they were actually ready to contribute, um, it was late in the season. And they finally kind of showed what they could do. Now you've got the entire offseason. So once, once they get to training camp, uh, are they going to be as good as they're ever going to be? Of course not, but they're going to be able to play. Um, and just the possibility of saying, look, we, we know you're going to be the starter, but these guys are on your rear end and they're going to play and they're going to be given opportunities. So if you want to keep your starting spot, uh, you better bring it every single day or they're going to take your snaps. Um, and just that, you know, as you guys said, the benches can be your best friend. Just that capability um, is such an incredible motivator. Uh, competition really does that. And um, I think Jay Bateman has has good reason to be giddy. You know, we can have the conversation. I know we've had it before. Is it this year of the year or does that group need another year to really become the elite defense they can? He's going to try to get them ready now. And if he can with Sam Howe as your quarterback – uh, there's a lot of opportunity out there for North Carolina. The
4: Let's good take- thing, though, is that they're not it's not like when Howell leaves, they're going to they're going to s- suddenly, you know, have nothing at quarterback. They've got two guys behind him yep. that to this point in spring, even. You got to be pleased about what you what you have, you know, and that's that mean when you when you're when you're taken care of and we've talked about this. For years now on this podcast, when you're taking care of at the defensive line on the defensive line, and you've got dudes on the defensive line and you're really good at quarterback, that's the foundation of your, of a legit contender right there. That, I mean, that's it.
1: I was thinking about this earlier. Obviously quarterback is everything having Sam Howell, the anchor of your offense, all of that. But if you put an average quarterback back there, I think this defense is significantly better than the offense. Like obviously Sam Howell is everything. And without Sam Howell, it's not a, it's not the team, but as far as the guys are on this defense and what Jay Bateman has been trying to build since day one, he has it. He has depth at secondary. He has, well, he's hoping to have depth on defensive line. We'll see how the young guys shape out. He's got his anchors in the middle and linebacker with Jeremiah and Eugene Asante. Like he has what he wants. He has dudes. He doesn't have to go out there and throw it, throw Storm Duck in at cornerback and being, geez, this guy's never played a snap of college football in his life. Like, he doesn't have to do that anymore. So, I was just thinking about earlier about comparing the offense to the defense because the past couple of years, it's just been this team has had to score. They've had to outscore opponents because they weren't comfortable with their defense holding guys. They don't have to do that now. They can rely on their defense more than they have. And they've
3: had to do that since uh, Butch Davis days. Right. You know, uh, it it has been a very long time. I know Greg is a defensive guy. He he likes the defensive side of the ball, but in terms of the comparison to make, um, offensive defense, what is really, uh, interesting and what people should maybe get more hyped about is the offensive line should be pretty good too. So in spring, you've got good going against good on a daily basis and steel sharpening steel. Um, they could rotate some bodies on that offensive line. I think maybe it was, I forget who it was, uh, today that said that, uh, they have 113 career starts. That might've been Ross Martin's article. And, and now they've got some younger guys like, uh, well, they got William Barnes and, you know, some other guys coming along i've heard malik mcgowan's name i've heard even diego pounds name uh so they've got some younger guys filling in behind those players they have the opportunity to rotate rotate some players as well and so the when they start squaring off in that scrimmage on saturday i'll be very interested to hear uh you know how that went on, on both sides so uh, your points well taken about if they just had an average quarterback, uh, the defense might be the stronger side of the ball. But uh, I think from a spring practice perspective, the, the fact that they can go against each other in the spring um, is going to make them both better when they take the, the field in September.
1: You brought up Malik McGowan. I just wanted to say this, Tommy. Um, he, to me, has one of the quickest first steps on that line just from what I've kind of observed um, as far as anticipating guys coming at him and being able to hold them off. Greg, did you see that at all? While, while we were there? Yep. See, pretty- I know what I'm talking about, Tommy.
2: Well, I mean, if you get Greg Barnes to agree with you without the, I don't know, then you must've nailed it. <laughs> yeah. There's no, the rolls, a lot <laughs> of I don't know. I don't
1: know if I agree with
2: that. <laughs> uh, Greg, let's stay with the offensive line for a second. Phil Longo said he'd like to have eight. So list the eight for our listeners, and who is the ninth one he's talking about? Because if my ears serve me correctly, he said they could potentially have nine if somebody really steps up in the spring.
0: Well, let me say this first, uh, and and Buck noted it there. The hour-long press conference we had, the best piece of information that we heard is the fact that it's clicked for William Barnes. Everybody. Yeah, it is. And a lot of people have, have wondered what's going on with William. He's one of the top recruits North Carolina's ever signed a uh, big time prospect. And it just took him some time. I mean, there's a couple of different reasons for that. Uh, but to hear that from Phil Longo uh, that's, that's significant. So in terms of what you're talking about, um, I mean, you know who the starting five is going to be, right? I mean, uh, Austin Richards, they really like him at left tackle. Uh, Joshua Zuda, who is out for spring. Could be at left tackle, Brian Anderson at center, Marcus McKeithen, right guard, and then Jordan Tucker is your, your right tackle. Ed Montalus is number six. He's a guy they can use on either side. They really like him at left guard. He's, he's in uh, Joshua Zudu's spot at left guard right now in spring practice. Um, your career on Johnson is probably right there as well. They really like Jonathan Adorno, uh, but Kieron Johnson's uh, the backup at center right now. Adorno can certainly do that. They do like him at guard, uh, and then you got Barnes. And so that that's your that's your group right there. And if Barnes, you know, he's been working uh, at tackle, and they they let him play both positions last year a little bit. Toward the end of the year, he was really getting most of his reps at the tackle position. Um, and that's kind of where he's at right now. So you know, you're you talking about nine guys right there. Adorno's got to come along just because he's young. That, that's part of the process. But they really like what uh, Ed Montalas did early on. He had some struggles midway through last year, but uh, they like his potential. Brian Anderson's a great leader up front. He's probably the leader of the offense uh, next to Sam Howe. Uh, Kieran Johnson is a guy who's played on both sides of the ball. He's a veteran. Uh, he knows what it takes. Uh, and there's, there's talent all over that line. So uh, Jason's been very high on that group just in terms of potential. Um, and the fact that they have eight or nine guys right now uh, will help a lot because injuries are going to happen. And if you can have somebody slide in and there's not much of a drop-off, uh, you're in really good shape.
2: Let Jason, I want you to comment on that. But talking about the injuries, I remember Notre Dame last year, I mean, they had a couple bad injuries and they didn't skip a beat. Not against Carolina. We've discussed that. Against maybe Clemson, yeah, you could tell, but not against Carolina. Um, but, Jason, as a follow-up to the depth on the offensive line is, how do you get all those guys' snaps? Or, or, or I'll phrase it this way. What is ideal snap count for an offensive lineman during the course of a game? Because if I'm looking at snap counts from this past season, when everybody was healthy, it was like four guys played the entire game, and then the fifth rotated in and out a little bit. What's ideal for a lineman?
4: Well, the ideal is that you have five guys that play every snap through about the middle of the third quarter when you're ahead by 42 mm-hmm. points. And then you sub in the next five guys. There's your ideal. <laughs> so you get, you know, two and a half quarters, basically, of, you know, snaps. So let's say there's 80 snaps in a game, uh, you know, in, the, in modern game, somewhere around there, somewhere between 75 and 80 snaps. Uh, and then you're going to have, you know, 55 snaps for your top guys and then 35 for your other guys because they're all playing in garbage time. That That's ideal. Now you know, there aren't very many teams that get to live the ideal life. (laughs) So, you know, looking at how things go beyond that, if you're trying to play, you know, knowing that you might have injuries, knowing that you're trying to stay fresh, knowing that you're trying to make sure that guys get, get rotated in there in case there are injuries, those sorts of things, then what you're really looking for is, I would say, somewhere around a, you know, four or five to one split you want your starters to, to get the majority, you know, to play as much as possible. And as long as the game is really competitive, if you're, if it's a tie game, or if it's, if you're behind or you're up by one score, you really need to have your starters in there. Now, if you're in a situation like Carolina was last year, where they really had six starters because they, they, they felt like uh, Montillas was, was really that six starter. And, you know, there were times where they were more comfortable with Montillas at left guard and, Uh, Azuto at left tackle than having Richards at left tackle and Azuto at left guard. So sometimes they would they would slide that 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 would change some things sometimes. But in general, if you feel comfortable with your starting five, it's sort of like linebacker and quarterback. You don't make a whole lot of changes there because, you know, the thing about offensive line is it's really one unit that has to operate as though it's almost one position because the continuity up there, and I, I mean, I wish uh, Mike Ingersoll was on this to to you know reinforce this all the more. But I mean, I've talked with Mike about this over the years a bunch, where you know he he emphasizes like, look, it's not just about knowing the scheme, doing your job, having good players. It's having good players who know the scheme, who can do their job, and know exactly how the guy next to them is going to do his job there's an art to it that comes with continuity that happens when guys are used to playing with each other. And so you don't want to reduce that by, by shuffling guys in and out too much. That said, as soon as you get up by two, three scores, then it's actually smart to rotate a guy in and to, you know, this series, we're going to change out the, the left guard and we're going to slide this guy out. And then next series, we're going to rotate the, you know, we're going to put somebody else in at right guard and we're going to move that guy to, to right. You do that when you're up two scores, three scores, that's when that's when you get those opportunities. Uh, and, And that means that you don't have to wait until the, you know, late third quarter or the fourth quarter when you're up by, you know, 35, 40 points. You can start to work guys in then that's, that's really, you know, again, living the ideal life when you're, you know, you can count on being up and count on being healthy. That's one thing. But if you're, if you're really trying to build and make sure that guys are staying interested and playing and all that, then what you're really thinking is, you know, three or four series with your starters. And then, you know, you shuffle in a guy or two, hopefully, hoping that you're up a, a score or two at that point and, and try to work those guys in, but it's not something that you can kind of pitch count you know, and say, okay, well, you're going to go in third series or you're going to go, you can't quite do that. You have to really play by the, the flow of the game and know that like, look, we're on the one yard line here coming out of the end zone. We're going with our starting five, <laughs> you know, or, hey, this, this drive is starting at midfield and we're up by, by 10, you know what? I'm going to slide my sixth guy in there and, and give him, give him an opportunity in a, in a really advantageous situation. That's not going to hurt us too much. You know, these are the sorts of things that you can do, but that you're, you're always on the phone between but on the phones between series talking, you know, with the coordinator and the position coach and different things of, all right, should I have my guy ready? That sort of thing. And those 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 conversations are had over the course of the game.
2: Indeed, they are great stuff there. Offensive line of strength, defensive line of strength. Whew could make for a special season let me and talk I
4: loved by the way I'm, I'm going to interrupt here I love going to interrupt
2: my Johnny t-shirt read go ahead I, I'm I, you
4: know what I, I will I will I, I because I have that luxury <laughs> but one one, one thing that, that got me really excited is listening to Brown talking about what they're doing for pass rush in that they're in their effort to make sure that they're getting better on pass rush that they they've singled out you know their five eight guys that they feel are their best pass rushers and then what they're doing is they're they're then taking those guys and having them run at, they're having them do pass rush drills consistently every day against their best pass protectors. And you want to know how you get good. That's it. That's it. When you got a guy like Keyshawn silver who has a chance to be a really good interior pass rusher. And he has a chance to go against good interior pass blockers who are third, fourth year veterans who are as, who are as good and as talented as he's going to play. He's going to, he's going to see everything he's going to see now that gives him the chance to come back and fall and be that much more competitive when he sees them again in fall camp. And by the time you get to, to the beginning of the season, that guy's that much closer to actually being ready. And when your talented guys who don't know their right hand from their left at this point, suddenly know what they're doing a game or two into the season that gives you so that's such a luxury. So, and that that's, that's where having some veterans on the other side of the ball that your talented youngsters can go at and go at and go at and get their butts kicked initially until they're starting to compete, that makes you better. And that that's something that I think should have every Carolina fan excited to hear, that that those young guys are getting that opportunity and that they're focusing on making sure that they're getting that opportunity against, against their best.
1: Iron sharpens iron.
4: That's
1: a
2: great point because, you know, many times we've seen – Carolina football guys get ready and then they never get to practice against anybody as good as the people they play on Saturdays. And that's just simply, to Jason's point, is not the case now. And that's what Matt Brown means when he's talking about depth. Let me talk about Johnny T-Shirt. There's only one person on his podcast that can totally shut me up, and that's Buck. But I was fascinated, Jason. You made an awesome point there. So I I sat quietly before I could talk about Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Mm. Uh, they are great sponsors and friends of Inside Carolina and great friends of you, the Inside Carolina listener. Subscribe to Inside Carolina and you get 10%. You can get anything you want. Basketball jerseys. They got throwback football jerseys. Baseball's going on now. They beat South Carolina yesterday. That's never a bad thing when you beat those dudes. Uh, and they've got anything you could possibly need for uh, home tailgate, tailgating, hopefully this year. Bowls lot trips to see the Inside Carolina live show in the bowls lot. Those are always – Great ways to get your Johnny T-shirt stuff. Come see us there. Get some swag. National guys are going to pay the bills. We'll be right back inside Carolina roundtable football discussion. Buck Sanders, Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, and I am Tommy Ashley. We'll be right back. All right, boys, we're back with Inside Carolina Roundtable podcast football edition. Buck, I'll come to you first. Let's talk about the questions we're getting on the YouTube live stream. And many thanks to the people that have joined us there. Uh, there was once a saying, and Greg Barnes is, is dipped out for a second, so we'll talk about him. Uh, he's back. If we had an X amount of listeners or viewers that Greg had to get a Twitter account, so, uh, you know,
1: That number was three hundred, and we've the last two have been over that, but they were special occasions. We
2: we've blown that apart. So Greg Barnes, we look forward to see the the G the G Biggie at I C Twitter handle.
1: If Greg Uh, makes a Twitter and makes his ad at G Biggie, I I won't. I'll work for you the rest of my life. Like, (laughs) okay, that's got to be done
4: now. Yeah, G Biggie, G Biggie, G Biggie Barnes. Uh, G biggie, and he's got to have a good number with it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll
2: we'll just – I'll just start asking questions. Buck Sanders, let's talk about the running back room. Somebody's asked, uh, will Robert Gillespie be missed? Uh, Will Ty Chandler uh, be the featured back? I think that's pretty obvious how he'll be used. But, Buck, your take on this running back room, uh, you know, with Sam Howell back there, as long as they can field competent guys – in that slot, I think Carolina will be okay. But how you see this going, and do you see um, there being any drop off in coaching from Gillespie to Porter? Clearly, the talent level is going to be massively different, at least early in the season.
3: Well, as far as Gillespie being missed, um, in some ways, the running back room and the running back uh, as a whole, running backs as a whole, it's sort of a new blank slate for them, right? I mean, the, the coach has got a fresh look at them. Um, Javante and Michael are gone. So, you know, snaps are wide open. So from that aspect, I think in terms of Gillespie leaving a good time for him to have gone would have been when they lost Michael and, and Javante, uh, Larry Porter has a great reputation as a running back coach. From that aspect of it, I don't, I don't believe there'll be any drop off. As far as Ty Chandler goes, um, you know, my feeling is that Longo's going to run a couple of guys, maybe three, maybe more than two. Uh, Twenty nineteen, Antonio Williams got a significant number of carries, as as did Javante as well, and Michael. So we may see more than two guys toting the rock. Um, for a majority of the time, uh, next year. So which three will it be? Will it be two? I don't know. I heard Mac today, throw DJ Jones's name out there also talked about Elijah green, um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're really hammering in the fundamentals. You know, it, big for Mac Brown is ball security. Um, and if, if, if somebody fumbles a ball during a game, that guy's going to the bench ASAP. I can pretty much guarantee that. So, um, you know, that's how I see it going. Of course, everybody is really excited about what, uh, Caleb hood might uh, bring to the table. He's certainly got the measurables. Uh, I, I for one, can't wait to see him run with the football and I hope he has a little the I'm running angry uh Javante Williams in him and if he does that would really bode well for that running back group
2: indeed something I thought about and Greg I'll ask it to you and then Jason you can follow up I mean we assume that there'll be a platoon type deal that they had but I mean Porter's back there so who makes that decision Uh, it's my understanding the position coach decides who's on the field is that accurate and do we expect porter uh to use a similar type setup Um, you had to with carter and javante i mean they were one and one a so you had to use them like that so greg how do you think it shakes out i know we're a long ways from september though
0: yeah for sure that that's how it will be and a lot of that's determined as as most of this stuff is determined during the game week this is not stuff they determine on game day necessarily in terms of who, who's going to be the, the key guys in rotation. And then once you get to game day, you kind of know what your, your pieces of the puzzle are, uh, and then you leave it up to the uh, running back coach to, to kind of run through things. I mean, the last thing you need is the offensive coordinator having to say, okay, well, I want this guy in, and I want this guy in, and I want this guy in. There's just not enough time in, uh, in between plays, especially the way that Phil Longo likes to run in terms of pace. Uh, There's not enough time to do that. Uh, it's, it's very tempting, and I, and I completely understand it to want to talk about, okay, what's the depth chart right now? Who's, who's the best guy? Who's number two, who's number three. Um, And, and I think it was Jason or maybe Buck earlier mentioned the opportunity of teaching this time of year. That's such a critical component of the spring. And Mac has harped on that for, for years now. Um, This is the opportunity to to really teach these guys. And so you're not really, I mean, they're evaluating, they're, they're seeing how guys stack up for sure. They're not necessarily trying to say, okay, well, this is going to be our depth chart right now. This is who we expect to play against Virginia Tech. They're nowhere near that, but they are evaluating. Um, and one thing that that Max said uh, last year, year before, he said, "Look, when you talk about running backs, everybody that we recruit can run the ball. Like, it's, there's not that big of a difference from this guy to this guy in terms of what they can do with the ball. Now, unless you're." Mark Michael Carter and uh, Javante Williams is going to be a probably top two or three round draft pick. It's a little bit different, of course, but all these guys kind of know what to do with the ball in their hand. What's really going to distinguish these guys is what can they do with pass protection? What can they do with catching the ball out of the backfield? That's really what's going to separate them. Um, And so they are, they're evaluating everybody. They know what Josh Henderson and Elijah green uh, did in the orange bowl. So they have, actual game tape of what those guys can provide um, and so now it's really a matter of saying well we got to see what Chandler can do because he's a new kid uh, you DJ is finally healthy Caleb Hood's a unique back he's he's different than all the others um, so you have you have a lot of options um, but right now it's just making sure they know what they're supposed to do and then it's really kind of fine-tuning what they can do so that when you get to training camp everybody knows OK, these are my assignments. I can do those. Uh, this, this is everything coach is asking me to do. And then at that point in time, you have those competitions. You say, OK, well, this guy knows exactly what's being asked of him. How does he perform in these scrimmage settings? Um, and at that point is when they will really kind of decide, all right, well, this is our list. This is who we think is going to be playing in, in week one. I just don't think they're anywhere close to making those types of decisions right now.
1: Someone in the chat brought up the point of not a drop off in talent, just experience in the running back room, which maybe to a certain degree. But I just thought, I mean, Jason, after that face, I gotta let you go. Go, go for it.
4: Yeah, um, I, I think that that that's kind of disrespectful to the guys that just left who are really really talented running backs
2: yeah let's make it clear Javante Williams and Michael Carter are two of the best to ever wear the uniform not just at Carolina in the conference yeah yeah
4: period yeah and you got to think Javante Williams some NFL NFL teams have him as the number one running back in the NFL draft which by the way there's one person in the country that I know of that was saying that might happen last summer. That guy. Yeah. That guy. And and that's just because I'm telling you, don't underestimate how talented that man is. Javante is very talented. And we're not just talking about physical traits. See, that's the thing. And it's not experience, it's not physical traits. When when you're talking about talent at the running back position, there are a couple other things that matter just as much as, you know, you can have a guy that's Trent Richardson, right? Trent Richardson's a great example of this. You're not going to find another guy that's, you know, much more size speed combo than Trent Richardson. And he flamed out in the NFL because there's more to being a running back in terms of running back talent than just being a big guy who can run fast, right? And both Javante and Michael Carter brought so much more to the table, and you know, especially Javante. You watch him; his talent, more than anything, was his ability to to see he, great vision, to see and and uh, and respond with his feet without without missing a beat, and just how quickly he was able to make decisions and, and recognize where the scene would be and then get through it with great contact balance. I would be shocked if there's another back on Carolina's roster. That's as talented as him. And that's He's- not a knock on the guys that they have. Right. And I am excited to see Caleb hood come in, but if Caleb hood is as talented as Javante Williams, then North Carolina fans should be absolutely stoked because that guy. And, and again, the fact that he was, 1A with Michael Carter tells you how talented Michael Carter was, right? And when you see what Michael Carter could do in the open field and, and his vision and some of these things, I think that's a stretch. Now, there is a, there definitely is an experience drop-off, but there's also a talent drop-off with those guys. and there, and And that's just because you're talking about losing two guys that are going to be playing multiple years on Sundays. And, you know, it's – and this is something that – T- that fan bases in at every team are guilty of, and that's the young guys coming up are always more talented than the guys leaving. Great, because news. you know we're, we're we're more we're more attuned to we're more familiar. We're, we it's fresher in terms of the recruiting battles, but sometimes the guy that's leaving is just that special. And you know you replace Trevor Lawrence, and right now the the, the Clemson fans, I'm seeing some guys that are like you know, you're seeing this on social media, like, man, DJ, you know, I I know Trevor was great and all, but man, DJ might actually end up being better. Like guys, come on, come on. Really? Like I think DJ is going to be pretty good, but he ain't no elf, right? You're going to have a little bit of a drop-off at that position. He's human. And that's that. And you got to accept that, you know, you're not going to replace that guy with a guy that's that's better and Carolina's there with the running back position right now where, I mean, I think again, looking at what I've seen of what they have on the roster, I don't see another Javante Williams and I don't see really another Michael Carter. I see some guys that could potentially grow into something close and I hope they do, but that's, that's a big ask. Those guys are really
3: good.
1: Yeah. It's almost putting expectations too high for the running backs coming in. Um, But Greg, Correct me if I'm wrong. Haven't you described Caleb played as kind of like a hybrid between those two guys, between Michael and Javante, or is that somebody else? I
0: think it's somebody else. Um, okay. I, I haven't seen him to have that kind of burst that the Carter has or the quickness, um, but he does have good pad level. I um, mean, he, he has a good initial burst for sure. And he can lay a hit. I mean, there. You know, when, when you and I were sitting there watching practice last week or whenever it was, my days are, I think it's Sunday. I don't even know what day it is. But whenever we were watching practice at, at Keenan Stadium, uh, I mean, a, a few times I was kind of looking down, taking notes, and you could hear a thud. And, ooh, you look up, and it's Caleb. And he's standing up, and whoever's trying to tackle him is, is on the ground. Uh, so those things stand out. And um, I, I think he has he has that kind of potential He's a young guy. But that's kind of what we heard about Javante, right? And I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Javante by any stretch.
4: And I hope he is.
0: <laughs> but but early on, Javante, they're like, you know, there's a lot of talented guys ahead of him, but the kid's just unique. I mean, he just he can lay some hits with the best of them. And um Caleb's Caleb's uh, popping a little bit early for sure.
2: Let's talk about defensive line and to the chat questions they're rolling in and you know, we can't have a four hour podcast. We could. Um maybe we ought to all just meet up in Chapel Hill on Saturday and just shoot the breeze. Gregory owes me a blue cup, so we we can collect. <laughs> I
1: don't him. owe you anything. But, I owe Rel a blue cup. Well, let's uh, uh,
2: Buck. Uh, let me come to you on this defensive line. People want to know about Bingley Jones. They want to see his see Des Evans progressing. I, I think Jay Bateman. Um, or, or let's compare and contrast where Jay Bateman is on his top eight versus where Longo is. I, I think. Uh, Jay Bateman is really stoked about this position.
3: Uh, absolutely, he's stoked. And uh, as far as Bingley Jones, uh, one of the questions was about him specifically, but he was slowed by a little bit of an injury. He had a little bit of relapse, uh, I think, uh, before spring. So he was limited to start spring. I Probably Saturday will be the first chance that Greg and Um, Gregory will have an opportunity to take a look at him and see how he's playing how much they're letting him play. He he, terrific football player. And we're not going to get enough of of saying that name a hundred times between now and, and, uh, before the season's over with, but, uh, Desmond Evans, I think that's an interesting question. Because, you know, they have really put a huge emphasis on pass rush and and Mac Brown is just telling his guys, if you can't beat a offensive tackle on your own, you don't need to be on the football field. So we'll see what happens between him and Taman Fox and some other guys. Greg, your take
2: on this defensive line. I mean, somebody in the chat said if Tamari Fox is starting at the end of the season, then some people hadn't developed. If I misquoted you, stop posting so quickly so I can read them before they go home. But Gregory – or Greg, excuse me. Uh, you mentioned Keyshawn Silver, and I know Max said he's 306, which is ridiculous. Uh, but, I mean – I've said it all along, and I'll say it again. This is where Carolina makes a difference. Somebody asked, can they be undefeated going into Notre Dame game? If the defensive line is as good as Jay Bateman seems to think it's going to be, then I say yes. Greg, what do you say?
0: Yeah, probably. I mean, if the defensive line <clears throat> steps up and is they were able to find a, a couple of pass rushers, I think that's the key. Um, I, I think they got the bodies in terms of the, the inside guys <clears throat> to, to help with the run that Jay Bateman's warning and what, what he needs, but you do have to have somebody that can put pressure on the quarterback with having to scheme it up. And that's been an issue for North Carolina the last couple of years. I mean, the, I get the, you know, the, the new recruits, the the five-star guys are always going to be the uh, new hot candy. And um, I don't even know if that makes sense, but the the new hot ticket. Um, But Tamari Fox, I mean, think about this kid. He's arguably the strongest guy on the team. Um, He played pretty much every single game his freshman year. He started every game last year. That's the progression you want. Um, I mean, he's still a young guy. So if you're saying that because he's busted his rear end and he started every game last year uh, that he's not any good because there's a five-star behind him who's never played before, but he has a lot of accolades, I mean, you know, I think at that point, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Um, it's very rare for, for true freshmen to come in and make an impact on the lines, on either side. Um, there are some that can come in and just be elite. Dexter Lawrence is a guy, local, who I think a lot of people kind of circle because of what he did at Clemson. Um, those are really special individuals. And hopefully for North Carolina, one of these young guys is like that. I mean, that would be a game changer for sure but there's nothing wrong with having a guy kind of work his way up and solidify. I mean, there's no reason to think Tamari Fox won't be a lot better this year than he was last year. And it's not like he was terrible last year. Um, And so I I get it with the young guys, but, but give them time to develop. It's, It's one thing to rely on a true freshman to be the guy and to be the best player out there. It's something else to say, you know what? We know you're very talented. We also know your role. But there are some good guys ahead of you. We're going to give you playing time. We're going to let you build confidence. We're going to let you show your potential. And that's going to help you in the long run. And the better you play, the more snaps you will get. And that helps the program. Um, so don't you know, just think
3: Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, that's one reason why I think Bateman is so giddy. Because he he knows he has these super talented freshmen that he can bring along See what they can do in practice, see what their work ethic is like. But he's got guys like Vahasik and Fox, Taylor, and Bing Lee Jones, who didn't play last year, but he's further along in the program. Pender. And Miles Murphy, Pender. He's got all of those guys, the majority of which have played already and have done some good things and have flashed. Um, on the football field in, in critical situations. So, is Buck about to get beamed up?
4: <laughs> <laughs> a Buck just off. got muted. And I'm, I'm going to. Sorry I'm, about I'm, that. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in here, too. There's another couple things to think about uh, in that. First of all, when Dexter Lawrence went to Clemson,
0: Kevin Hester, let me add that in there. Yeah.
4: When, when Dexter Lawrence went to Clemson, uh one thing people don't really appreciate is not only was he did he come out of come out of high school more ready than most so not only was he a freak he came out less raw in certain respects than most but he also got a chance to line up next to christian wilkins right that defensive line had three other guys who went on went in the first round so If you're going to add a true freshman in and expect that true freshman to kind of come in with those raw, that raw talent and be able to contribute right away, it sure helps when you're plugging him in with three other guys that are, that are NFL talents, right? It makes it easier when you don't have that. It's actually harder to stick that guy out there and expect the same level of contribution because if he makes a mistake, it's, it's going to be maximized more when there aren't other guys there to clean up. So, so that's another thing to consider. I also think that one guy that's not being talked about enough in this discussion is, uh, is, is a, a guy that I think is one of the reasons why right now you're not hearing as much about Des Evans, and that's Chris Collins. He really, to me, impressed me down the stretch. The last, the, the last third of last season, and showed me some burst and the ability to get, you know, to some some of the traits that you want in a pass rusher from that position. And he's a guy that, I mean, he's gonna give Des Evans everything he can handle to get on the field at that spot. So, you know, and that's a good problem to have that you've got another guy who was not as highly touted coming out, but is playing like he should have been. Uh, you know, he's showing that he has the traits that maybe he was underrated coming out. So that's another guy that I think is, is I know that the coaching staff is high on, and I think he's going to be a guy that, um, that to keep an eye on for next year as a, as a potential breakout candidate on the defense in a pass rushing and, you know, edge kind of role. Uh, and the other thing is that we know, we know that, I mean, the, the, the book on Dez coming out of high school is that he was super raw and that he would have to learn how to play, you know, every play without taking a play off. You know, and, and and the effort would have to he'd have to learn how to give the effort at the level that he needs to to be to be a an elite college player. The, the physical tools are there, but the rest of it and all that development, the the technique and the, the effort and all of those things had to develop. And he's still he's still developing. So, you know, there's no reason to uh, to to worry about him at this stage. But I think there's there's multiple guys on this team that are going to take a step forward next year, and I would expect him to be one of them.
2: It's going to be, you know, we, we can talk about the defense and we have a lot. I think this is where the rubber meets the road for North Carolina. But that being said, Buck, you're, you are um, forward-thinking in, in your side chat because I was going there. We got to talk about Sam Howell. And I'm not even going to talk about the backup. We're going to talk about Sam Howell. What? And-
1: what, are you okay? Do, do I need a
2: refill. It's mango. It's mango uh. water. Did that, did, did you get the vaccine and it somehow like altered your DNA or something? <laughs> really? I've got, I got 5g in my shoulder. Where's
1: right. your Bryn Renner talk? Like what are we, what are we where's doing, your CJ Stevens Jersey? Is
2: there I've right? got to find yeah. that picture. You guys will laugh. And, and I've got a number six Jersey. I just need to know, do I need to find my Mitch Trubisky Jersey? Um, so anyway, let's talk about Sam how and, and Buck, since you're laughing at me, I, I'll, I'll come to you. I didn't laugh. I didn't <laughs> laugh. Choffrey Brown is going to be back 100% for summer workouts. That was huge news, I felt like, from Mac Brown today. The expectation is that he will be back.
1: The expectation is. Hey, Mr. Yes. Technical down there.
2: Well, you always have to uh, caveat everything. I don't everything. know. So, so let's talk about how and his potential weapons. I think we can all agree that Josh Downs is going to be – I'd be shocked if he wasn't – a number one weapon for he's An health.
4: upgrade over what they had there last year.
2: And that is saying a lot because what uh-huh. they have had the past two years was
4: over stable. Daz? Is that yeah. what you is that okay? Yeah. I just wanted
1: to make sure that's where you were
4: he's a significant upgrade over Daz, which I mean you can take from that what you will, but that that's saying a lot. You almost got the eye roll from Greg Barnes now. Yeah. Significant? That, it wasn't it was, that He's role. going to be it a significant close. upgrade over Daz Newsom.
1: Why? Like, why do you, like, what makes you, I mean, I obviously know Josh Downs is extremely talented and I've watched him and the kids all over the field, but. Are you This got is, is going to remind
2: got... me of uh, what our, one of our other inside Carolina hosts talked about how Jason could spend for 25 minutes on wide receiver routes. So let's keep yeah. this. Uh, yeah, a I'm, I'm going to be
4: pretty quick here. A <laughs> couple things. One is if you go back to the tape, And you take a look at what happened when Carolina played the teams that had the best interior coverage guys. So I'm talking about guys that are NFL type, you know, coverage guys on the inside. Daz had trouble at times getting open. So, you know, against the Clemsons, the Notre Dames, and even the Florida States of the world, he didn't create a bunch of separation. And some of the reasons for that actually came out on pro day. Uh, in terms of the agility and, and, and speed numbers, he's a really instinctive guy, and he was a great player for North Carolina. But when I see Josh Downs, I basically see a Daz Newsome 2.0 in that he's burstier. So he actually is quicker than Downs in terms of his ability to make movements, you know, th- jump inside the side sort of stuff. Uh, I think he's got uh, more reliable hands. Daz got better at that as a senior, but he was not a natural hands catcher uh, through most of his career. And I think Josh, everything I've seen from him, he's, he's got very natural, he doesn't fight the ball. And, and that's something that in a slot receiver is really important. And I think he's a good bit faster in terms of long speed than, uh, than Newsom is. And you combine all those, and I think you're going to see a guy that against your elite type coverage guys that they're going to see only a few times. He's going to be, he's going to be able to get open more often against some of those guys and against some of those teams than Daz was. Uh, and I think he's going to be more of a big play guy because of being a little bit faster and a little bit and a, a good bit faster and a little, even quicker. I mean, Daz is really quick, but I think Josh is, is even quicker than, and, 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 than, than Daz. And you put all that together in a package that, you know, he, the guy is, He's been coached well, and he's breathed football since he was a kid. And so his instincts and everything are really good already. I just think he's he's one of those guys that, you know, you're, you're looking at more of a Javante Williams type at that, at that uh, level talent, at that position. And, you know, Daz is a good player, really good player. But I think Downs is, is special.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: That'll be interesting to watch because uh,
2: Daz has probably three – at least three all-time Carolina highlights
4: from the last couple of years. He's a clutch guy. I mean, and, and this is not a knock on Daz. I mean, Daz is a really good right. player and did and did some amazing things at Carolina. But I just think I think Downs has a chance to be that special.
1: And I Our- think he also has a chance to be the number one guy as far as yards and things. And Daz obviously got overshadowed sometimes by Diami. So I think that might play a role as far as comparison goes moving forward. It's like, oh, look what Josh Downs did compared to versus Daz, which Daz had Diami over him, which I don't know if Choffrey and Bo can be the Diami to Josh Downs. If yeah, that makes I agree sense.
2: there. All yeah. right. Greg and Buck, Josh Downs is the one. Who's two? Who's three for this team?
0: I've already said, and I'm sticking with it. Although him being limited in spring ball um, doesn't help. But I think Bo Corrales is the full package. And I think if they can get him completely healthy, uh, I think he, he has the speed, he has the skill set, he has the size uh, to be a really good option on the outside. And I think that's the, the key component. You know, Chaffee Brown um, is still a young guy and I think clearly has a ton of speed. And I just think he's got a little bit more time to grow, which will come. But I think Bo is the guy. And I think if you have Downs on the inside and Bo on the outside with with Garrett Walsh in there and Kamari uh, Morales at tight end, that's a lot of good options. And then if you just need from there, you really just need a couple guys, whether it's Chaffrey or Antoine Green, somebody like that to kind of pop. And, and you're back, not exactly where you were last year, but pretty close. Um, and you know, with Sam Howe running the show, I thought you know, he's gonna make all those wide receivers look good. There's there's no doubt about that.
4: 100 percent agree with that analysis, and one thing to add to it is the, one of the other interesting things there is that all of those guys have a different skill set all the guys that you mentioned are a little different and each of them has a what what should be a pretty clearly defined role in terms of where they where they sit so it's not just a one two three four you know in terms of options it's that you know you get into certain situations and Coralis is clearly obviously going to be the number one option for this particular thing that you're trying to do and then, you know, you need somebody to take the top off the defense and, and, and get, get behind him. And that's, that's Choffrey. And then, you know, so each guy is going to have a role in terms of what they're asked to do and how they stress the defense. And there's a really nice mix of talent at the wide receiver spot, but I agree with you that, that really it's, it's, it's gotta be Corrales as that, as that other guy, because he's the guy that can be really steady. And then if they can get one other guy that really steps up and, and as that extra guy to be to be special then that that launches this offense into the stratosphere
2: what is the what's the difference in Bo Corrales and Garrett Walston Speed is it is it speed is
4: it vertical uh, Bo's was go. gonna
2: be a goal line
1: guy for sure yeah yeah
0: and Garrett's picked up weight as well
4: yeah Garrett's also be- Garrett's a Garrett's a better blocker on the inside right i mean love his blocking ability on the line he's a he's a really underrated blocker when you go back and you look at the tape he he was willing to get dirty and you know for a guy his size who's really more like a a prototypical passing receiving h you don't expect that but he made a lot of really good blocks last year
2: yeah and i and i don't say that because i don't know what i'm talking about i just see Bo corrales and garrett walston as not that dissimilar
4: type player um yeah, but one's going to make most of his, most of his, I mean, Walson's going to make most of his plays between the hashes and certainly inside the numbers, just partly by, because of where he lines up. Whereas Corrales is going to be a vertical guy and he, he's going to, he's going to make his plays on, you know, the, the jump ball you know, the back shoulder fade, uh, you know, some dig routes, that sort of thing. But basically the sorts of things that require that, that are demanding of a, uh, of a player who, you know, he, he's a vertical threat. He, he and there are two different ways really of making space as a wide receiver one is with speed and quickness and the other is with, is, is with size and he's he's a guy that creates space vertically simply because of his frame and his ability to get off the field in terms of being able to jump and with his wingspan and all and folks
2: are giving us a hard time on the chat about emory simmons we've talked about him before this is not the first football podcast we've done and i mentioned the notre dame catch and the nc state performance that he had Uh, but he's got to step up and do it we heard from him in the press conference this week Uh, buck sanders what am i missing on the on this wide receiver core is it emory simmons is it somebody we had not talked about
3: well obviously you need to talk about uh simmons but Now, one thing that's going to be really interesting to watch as the season goes on is that er, after every game, we would get the snap counts, and you would look, and Dimey Brown got like 95% of the snaps at outside receiver. I mean, it was ridiculous that Dimey almost never left the field. I mean, he was out there every single snap. Daz was out there almost as often. It, and of course, Josh Downs will probably be in that kind of ain't gonna leave the field um uh, role. But I don't know, and, and Bo probably to some extent, but that other outside receiver position, it's gonna be interesting to watch if Galloway and um Longo rotate the player that's playing at that position a little bit more often than they did uh, when Diami was here. So uh, that's one of the things I'm going to be looking for. I think there may be more opportunities uh, for that multiple guys to get catches on the outside uh, where uh, Diami played.
2: Yeah, yeah, Greg, to that point, you know, Diami, Daz, and Bo, when he was healthy, they played – a heavy, heavy majority of the snaps. Does that change this year? I know Longo and Galloway, they always talk about wanting to have, you know, six, eight, ten receivers that can play. But there's only so many snaps in a game. So how do we think that will change given that you lost the, the two that you lost?
0: Well, I really think this is a matter of all these coaches talk about you want to be able to sub in without there being a reduction in, in production. Um, I think that's very important. And I think last year that wasn't necessarily the case. I, mean, I think you have Deami clearly is the best wide receiver. Uh, Bo, of course, was banged up all year with that uh, hernia situation. So he was limited. Emory Simmons came along so they could rely on him more later. Uh, Antoine Green, you know, we, we've discussed him. Uh, having good moments and bad moments. And so – when you when you have a distinct separation between this group of wide receivers and everybody else, clearly you're going to lean on the guys that, that can win games for you. And the hope is that as you recruit and as you develop talent um, and bring in more guys, that separation's whittled down. So now you can rotate four or five, six guys and it's not going to hurt you in terms of what you're wanting to do. I, I think that will take a step forward this year. And so I do think you'll see a number of more guys, uh, get snaps and be able to play, but there's also the potential. I mean, Josh Downs, if if he's as good as the coaches make it sound, and if he's as good as Jason makes him sound,
3: he ain't coming off the field.
0: That's right, and there's no reason to take him off the field. Um, and
3: so that's kind of Brown can't stop talking about him. Yeah, and there's, there's I mean, good reason for that. Every guys. single every single press conference he talks about Josh Downs, and just flat out says he's our best receiver. He's not good. You know, he's so... great. Don't be right. surprised so, when
4: you see him line I mean, up in the backfield. It's not us. It's not us too. hyping
3: him. Yeah. Well, he did that for on that one touchdown, right? It, uh, Snuck out bowl. of the backfield. Yep. And some some uh, of what we saw in the Orange Bowl is stuff that
4: we're going to see a lot more this season. We're going to. I mean, that's one of the things that again we're going to see Josh Downs in the back. I expect again, and 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 I'm I, I'm just going off of what I would be doing if I were Phil Longo and Mac Brown, I would, I would be getting Josh down some carries, you know, out of the backfield at times. I mean, not, I'm not talking about like, you know, 10, 15 carries, but you know, three, four carries in a game, you know, out of the right set and putting him in the backfield and then, you know, using that just enough of a threat to hand him the ball to, to then be able to, get the get the right personnel and get the right matchup that you want in in the passing game there's going to be a lot of things they can do with him but he's, he's going to be in the backfield some next year too I expect oh, yeah somebody
2: mentioned Curtis Samuel I'm thinking Tyreek Hill those jets and the handoffs get him out there in space all right let's let's wrap this one up it's 1016 uh, I figured we'd be out by 10 30 so we're getting close but if we do this round table next week, uh, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. They've got a scrimmage this Saturday, and it, they said it's open, so I guess yes. folks could go watch. Uh, what do we want to be talking about from this weekend scrimmage? Uh, what do you think we will be talking about? Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the what best we, we want to
3: be talking about. Is nobody got hurt? You know that that's number one. Uh, we got a little bit of a scare with Chaffrey. Um, as it looks like he's going to be okay, but so far they've gotten through spring without any, uh, getting hit with the injury bug. So we hope that continues, but you know, what I would want to be talking about is how the battle between the offensive line and the defensive line played out in a, in a full contact scrimmage, um, is a defense holding its own? You i know, that's still a very young defensive line. Uh, whereas the offensive line guys a little older. Um, is is the defensive line getting any pass rush on Hal? Or are they making him, you know, get rid of the ball? Because the thing that to me, I mean, just listening to Mac all year, uh, the thing that he's focused on uh from the get go, uh, in a lot of settings, is we got to stop trying to scheme to get sacks. We got to get dudes that are gonna beat their man. That's what we got to see. That somebody's got to show me that. Um, so, I think those things—the defensive line versus offensive line interplay, uh, or can the defensive line get to Sam Howell? And I'll be ex- really excited to see how the running backs do in a live scrimmage. Uh, that'll be fun to, fun to hear about. Gregory Hall.
1: Yeah. What Buck mentioned about the D line getting to Sam Howell. I think that's good for both sides, right? Because obviously we want the D line to be able to create pass rush on their own without scheming, which is what Mac and Jay Bateman want. But if Sam Howell is, is sitting back there and is able to pick apart this defense, he's not going to be able to, he's not going to do that all season. Right. I mean, and what was his weakness last year, holding on to the ball too long and him being the reason for getting sacked. So if he's not able to practice that in a scrimmage, then he's not going to be able to get better at it during the season. And so I think that's what I want to be talking about next week is that dynamic with the D line and even the outside linebackers getting to Sam Howell and seeing how Sam handles it more than the D-line being able to get there. That's what I want to be. That's what I want to see and see how he kind of progresses because that's really the last thing that he needs to improve on other than maybe consistency, Um, which I think even then that's a stretch to say that he needs to be more consistent because he's done it for two seasons, but that's what I'm looking for.
4: Jason Staples. To me, aside from the injury thing, it really is about – if if we if we're talking about how the defensive line made made life miserable for the offense, everything Greg just said is specifically Greg, Gregory Hall. Everything that uh, we got two Gregs in here, <laughs> but anyway, ev- everything uh, Gregory just said is 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 exactly right on that. I mean, it helps across the board and the other thing that that would really help is it serves as a kick in the pants to the offensive line which being the veteran unit being a unit that has sky is the limit potential but also needs to have a really good off season not to come into next season fat and out of shape and happy knowing that they have a chance to be really good if they come if they get their butts kicked in spring it's the best thing that could happen to them because then they you know, they come through, the, the summer that much more motivated to make sure that they, that they understand, like, we've got to be a little bit better. So it, to me, the, you, you're you really hoping if you're Mac Brown, that the offense struggles a little bit just because the young defensive line is starting to give you some problems. That's, that's what, that's what you want to be talking about next week.
2: Greg Barnes, I'll, I'll let you wrap it up. Somebody said, when are we going to get a Greg bomb? We've had rail bombs on the show before we need a Greg bomb. What you want to be talking about next week, if you're talking about Carolina football.
0: All right. You're going to have to explain what is a rail bomb.
2: He dropped some news, I think. Oh. Or, or, <laughs> like, or remember when he got a phone call and he got a phone call from a parent of maybe somebody during the show or something, some big news. Like
1: a woge bomb, but I
2: mean, yeah, someone yeah. called
1: you Greg Schefter, right? So where's your. Well, I do have a little B- bit of news. G Biggie bomb. Oh, here we go. I,
0: I do have a little bit of news. That's interesting. At least to me. Uh, today, Mac Brown mentioned May tenth as being a kind of a cutoff day for the transfer portal.
1: I, that is my fiftieth birthday. May Number t- fifty. May, oh. I think I think you're getting your five and your seven switched. Is that
2: fifty, man? This is a wis- wisdom, not age. Go ahead, it's, Greg. You know, I'm sorry. Senior
4: citizens,
3: although slow and dangerous
4: behind the wheel. <laughs>
3: Greg's <laughs> got a so scoop, nervous. and y'all are messing around here. Let Greg get his scoop out. So
0: the way that that Matt kind of laid it out is uh, that's going to be kind of a critical time period in terms of what what happens, and Stillway still has not helped out a lot with what's going to happen with twenty twos and twenty threes in terms of scholarship numbers, all those kind of things. But at least the the May tenth date kind of gave you an idea that okay, well, this is at least going to help with the transfer portal situation. Um, a lot of people contacted me uh, even on the boards and saying okay, well a little bit confused. So Jeremy Sharp uh, from UNC. Uh, reached out this afternoon, provide some insight on that. Um, and, and really what, what Mac was kind of getting at, nothing's uh, in place right now. This is still, still a very fluid situation. The idea is though, let's say, let's say it is May 10th. Um, kids have to put in their name for the transfer portal by May 10th if they want to be eligible to play in the fall. Um, the idea is that there's going to be some some guidelines, some legislation involved that if a kid decides to transfer after that date, then there's going to be some some hurdles for them to, to jump over in terms of maybe those kids that transfer in June do have to sit out next year. So it's not just going to be open season. Hey, you know, a kid wants to transfer in August 1, and he can play a month later. Uh, so at least there's some uh, – forward thinking with NCAA in terms of how they're trying to handle this. As I said, nothing's official at this point in time, but that's something they're moving toward. I think that's uh, that is a good thing that they have a hard stop of saying, okay, you got through spring ball. If it's not going to work for you, we need to know now. um, and you need to make a decision quickly if you want to be able to play next year. Um, You know, I think everybody's in favor of kids having some, some more rights in terms of the ability to be able to transfer but it can't just be wild wild west and for a while it looked like that was going to be the situation but it sounds like at least on that front there is going to be a little bit of structure even though we're not exactly sure what the structure is going to be
3: so you know that they really had to do something like that too because yeah. you know you could have what well, what would happen if let's say they get out of spring camp uh and uh the year goes along and Storm Duck wants to transfer. And then another 15 days later, Kyler McMichael wants to transfer. And then another 15 days later, Tony Grimes wants to transfer. The coaching staff has no chance. Well, they couldn't replace those guys anyway. But I mean, they would have no chance to get bodies in there to even get through the season. You can just an open season, open transfer at any point and play uh, immediately, then you would have a situation where you could devastate a unit so bad that it would be hard for you to field the team. So, you know, I, I think that's probably the thinking behind that.
2: I was waiting to see a, a Pele situation the way the NCAA was handling it. you know, play with one country the first half and play with another one the <laughs> second half. I mean – You could get into spring practice and, you know, my favorite player could see a conference foe have an injury at that position and he could transfer and start. So I'm glad the NCAA has started to put in some sort of guidelines. Greg, one follow-up to that before we get out of here, does that apply to basketball or is that just a football thing? Or do we
0: know? uh, I would assume that's going to eventually take hold across sport. Uh, But, this is specifically to, to football. Uh, but the same, same situation applies for, for basketball. Um, you know, a little bit different because football actually begins training camp before classes start. Basketball starts in October, or I guess now late September. So that's a little bit of a, of, of a difference there. Uh, but I imagine that kind of rule is going to be in place for, for all the sports.
2: Indeed. So scrimmage this weekend. Uh, April 10th and then spring game, April 24th, three o'clock in Chapel Hill. They are on sale. so And you need to buy a ticket, um, five bucks. So don't complain about it being $5. I mean, come on. They got to make some money. Um, But it's free if you got kids in school. So go to Go Hills and and buy some spring game tickets. They are socially distanced. And I think you can buy four together and, and all that good stuff if you need to. Make your way out. If you can't get there, it'll be on ACC Network, and even better, it'll be talked about a ton on the Inside Carolina podcast. Uh, gentlemen, I, I think these live ones are kind of fun. It's interactive. Um, it's not quite as boring as it can be sometimes when we all sit around and talk. Uh, but I want to say appreciate you, Buck, for joining in, Gregory for running it, Jason for being here as well, and Starship Enterprise, um, wherever that is, and Greg Barnes. As starship always. enterprise it's the bat cave The man you know <laughs> uh, i'm a joker guy so uh anyway greg I, I know it's about time for you to get some sleep so i hope that you can take a few days and get some before the next big story breaks
1: greg sleeps in july that's right or at least that's about
2: May. accurate that's about accurate well it's supposed to be in the you know, mid to late april right but not these days anyway i thought,
0: uh, I thought i'd have a, a week to kind of uh to kind of debrief And uh, I'm still waiting for that week So it'll be here before you know it
2: It'll be here before you know it But as always Join us at InsideCarolina.com For the latest and greatest news On North Carolina basketball, football And all the sports uh, Baseball as well And you can't beat it Join up Enjoy the stuff Join us next time on the Inside Carolina Podcast Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt Thanks boys
1: Thanks for listening to another podcast From InsideCarolina.com brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.
4: CBS Wednesday. We have so many
0: cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings,
1: and it just keeps growing. I feel it